You're listening to the podcast, So You Want to Be a Writer, with Valerie Koo and Allison Tate. Valerie is an author, journalist, and national director of the Australian Writers Centre, which is one of the world's leading providers of online and classroom courses for people who want to get published and write with confidence. Alison Tate is a freelance writer, blogger, and author of the best-selling series The Mapmaker Chronicles. She has more than 20 years' professional writing experience. Each week, they explore the world of writing, publishing, and blogging to bring you news and opportunities, advice on how to succeed in the world of writing, interviews with top writers, and much more. With students enrolling from all over the world, you can find out more about the Australian Writer Centre at writercentre.com.au. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 198 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo and I'm here with Alison Tate. How are you, Al? I'm I'm okay, Val. Thank you. That's good. What's happening Thanks for in the world asking. of <laughs> Look, I think it's a great I think spring has sprung. I'm very it excited. Has. I know. And it feels different. And and I'm excited. Are you excited? It's change of season. It does a huge thing for moods, I reckon. Well, it's funny though, you know, because I do get excited and we had the nice warm weekend and stuff. And But then I mm. have the husband and I'm sure there are mm. other people out there who either are this person or are married to this person. I have this husband who's obsessed with weather forecasts and, you know, the <laughs> – the weather yes. radar and the 48-hour yeah. forecast and the seven-day yeah. forecast, forecast, et cetera. So I'm all excited and I'm like, yeah, and he goes, oh, don't get too excited. There's wind oh. and 15 degrees coming for a couple of days in three days' time. <laughs> I'm like, well, can we not wait till we get to that before we, like, let's not have the downer on the mood in advance. Let's just yes. wait until the wind whistles around our ears and then we yes. can – you know, have a moment. But no, I don't actually get to enjoy the, the moment of the weather because I'm always getting told what the next day is going to be like and, you know, all that sort of oh, stuff. Oh, dear. Mm. I relate. I relate. My partner is very excited that there's a particular weather little antenna thing, I don't even know what they're called, that's mm. like 100 metres from our house. And so we get to know exactly what the weather is at this exact spot practically. And I'm constant, mm. and, and it's on a, some kind of internet site. And uh, I'm constantly getting updates on, on exactly that, the wind and the temperature and what's likely to happen. So I'm just so- going to revel in the fact that it's nice and sunny and lovely. I know. So we're actually just living the same life there as far as the weather so. situation. Okay, yes. good. I feel better. At least I'm not alone <laughs> with my, you know, 15-minute updates on what the weather's going to do next. <laughs> now, we want to give a shout-out to everyone who's joined the Facebook group. If yes, you haven't hello. yet joined. Yes, um, we love you all. It's so great to have conversations with all of our listeners and for you to have conversations with each other. There's some people asking questions and getting lots of great advice from other people in the community. So um, if you haven't yet joined, then head on over to Facebook and search for So You Want to Be a Writer podcast community and request to join. We'd love to have you in there. While we're at it, one of the things that we're doing, because this is episode 198, and that means our big bicentennial is coming up soon. Episode I feel so 200. old. 
I know Don't what you, you mean. Like, really? Gosh. Absolutely. But what we want to do is reward our listeners and also find out from you some feedback on how we should take the podcast into the future. So we want to reward you by giving you all $20. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> And what that is, if you can fill out a survey for us so that we can find out what you find valuable in the podcast, the bits you enjoy, and give us some feedback on what you think of the podcast, that would be awesome. And uh, you can do that by going to writercenter.com.au slash podcast survey. That's writerscentre.com.au podcast survey. And when you complete that, you will be able to get a $20 voucher to use um, at courses at the Australian Writers Centre. And I know that there are quite a bunch of people who are already doing that. So we would love to get your feedback and hear what you have to say. So again, writercentre.com.au slash podcast survey. So we want to give a shout out to Jordan 10011156. Gosh, <laughs> what a what a great username. Mm-hmm. Um who has left us a review on iTunes and Jordan has said drives to work infinitely improved. Oh. So Jordan is, yeah, cuz I think that Jordan listens to us while um Jordan is driving to work. So Oh, do uh, you think like really? <laughs> is that is that the kind of meaning that you're inferring from this text? Let's just Do you know what? I've got to say, can we just take a moment here because I, I just just while we're sorry, Jordan, we we are coming back to you, I promise. But um, I spent the weekend. I've got this young friend, and she's doing her. She's doing year eleven at the moment, and yes. um, she's very much a science maths kind of a girl. She's quite awesome in her STEM subjects, um, and she's doing advanced English as well because she wants to be a some very highfalutin you know, kind of university degree at the end of it. And so she's um, she's kind of dragged me in to assist her with her, with you know, with some of her um, work when she gets struck, you know, when she struggles, we have to sit down and discuss at length various um, subjects. Um, so this, this semester <laughs> we're doing yes. Emily Dickinson. And oh, yes. just the comment there about inferring from the text just took me straight back into that. You know, it's that whole thing of like um, – when you just read poetry, you can enjoy it for what it is. When you have to dissect it and analyse mm. it and talk about the transcendentalism of the mm. text and how it relates to other texts and other movies and stuff, it takes every iota of joy out of it. It's just, <laughs> it really does. And I just feel like, like I understand why we do this and I understand how important it is to analyse text. But I can also see why some people finish their HSC and will never look at another book because I just yes. feel like it takes all the fun out of it. And I remember um, Book Boy was writing a blog post one day and it was about um, classics, about, you know, mm. uh, things like um what did, what did he read? Well, Moby Dick, Tom Sawyer, you know, those kinds of things. And mm. he, he literally opened with, you know, if you've ever had to study these kinds of books at school, you probably find them really boring. But if you just read them, they are actually really good stories. <laughs> I thought, <laughs> yes, you have fully summed it up right there. Anyway, yeah. back to the inference of the text. 
and Jordan is listening to us as he's driving to work, and I'm so sorry. I totally went off on a mad segue there. Um, Perhaps you'd like to share the rest of Jordan's excellent review with us, Val. Okay, Jordan has said, I love this podcast. I feel like I'm sitting in a cafe talking to a few friends about writing instead of driving to work, and I'm so stoked on it. (laughs) So thank you so much, Jordan. Well, I'm inferring a lot of joy from that text, so thank you very much, Jordan. You're also inferring that Jordan is a boy. But oh, Jordan I am. Might be a girl. I'm so yeah. sorry. I take it all back. Yeah. Did, I say, did I say he? Yes, but that's okay, Jordan. Uh, whether see, you're a boy a, or a girl, a I should probably <laughs> yes. just take that right back, shouldn't I? And and let's just rewind to the start of the conversation. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So <sighs> Sorry, thank Jordan. you so much. Thank you so much, Jordan. We really appreciate you taking the time to uh, do the review on iTunes. And if any other listeners do have um, 30 seconds to leave us a review or rating on iTunes, we'd really be grateful because it helps us in the rankings. We also want to give a big shout out to Tanya Blanchard, who is a graduate of the Australian Writers' Centre because she has just released her debut novel, the Girl from Munich, it's called. Woohoo! Woohoo! Round of applause, parade, balloons, etc. Exactly. So she did a course with the Australian Writers' Centre and then began writing historical fiction. And this, this book is a story about a young German woman living in the Third Reich during the war years and its aftermath. And it was actually inspired by Tanya's grandmother's life and the stories that she heard from her grandmother. So uh, congratulations. I have no doubt we're going to hear more about uh, The Girl from Munich by Tanya Blanchard, but uh, that's some big news at the moment. And we also want to say congratulations to so many of the graduates in um, uh, of the Australian Writers' Centre who are doing so well in the world of freelance writing. This mm-hmm. week we've got people who have interviewed Colette Dinnigan for an article, um, people who have finished, their, finished uh, writing books, uh, people who have had their stories published in a whole range of uh, magazines. And, um, yeah, it's pretty cool, pretty exciting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Very congratulations exciting. to all of them. Now, let's move on to the world of writing and publishing, shall we? Let's. All right. I have a link for us, Al. It's from Inc. magazine, actually, and it's called Seven Incredibly Useful Writing Tips from a Pulitzer Prize-winning author. But this particular link, yeah, and we'll put the link in the show notes, and if you want to have a look at the show notes, you can find them at soyouwanttobeariter.com.au. But this particular link is specifically about writing op-ed pieces, as in, Mm. you know, opinion and editorial pieces that are usually, you know, about, you know, about 10 pages in to many newspapers. And they're the pages in the newspapers that come after the news, but it's somebody who is uh, usually an expert in that area giving an opinion on or, or commentary on something that's topical. And some people love writing opinion pieces. So I thought that mm. we would cover this because we don't often talk about this, do we? No, we don't. In fact, I can't think of a time we ever spoke about this. Yes, that's right. No. no, not really. Fresh territory. Speak- Look at it. It's nearly taken us 200 episodes and here <laughs> we are. <laughs> well, 
the thing is, I think it's important to distinguish the difference between an op-ed piece, opinion, editorial piece, in the paper or online, it doesn't matter, it's the same thing, uh, and the kind of opinion pieces that you read in blogs. Because mm-hmm. some people think that they're one and the same and some people think that if they can write a blog and write an opinion on whatever, X, then they can pitch that kind of story or idea or, or, or essay to the op-ed pages. But the thing with a, a, an official op-ed page in a newspaper, and there's really only a handful of op-ed columnists around mm-hmm. um, and who, who are regular columnists, but papers will also publish people who aren't their regular people. But to get in, you do need to have some level of expertise in that area. So here's some great points from this particular um, for this particular article. One of the ones is get to the point because you people when they're reading, they just they want to know very soon after they start reading what your thing is about. They don't need your whole backstory. They don't need a whole lot of uh, background. They just need to know what you're writing on. The the next one, they're very clear is the the purpose of an op-ed, obviously, is to offer an opinion. I think a mm-hmm. lot of people have no shortage of, of opinion. But the important thing is the next one, which is authority matters. It's one thing to have an opinion, but you either need to have some level of expertise in that area or if you don't, which is okay, you should have an interest in that area presumably, but if you don't have a PhD in that particular topic, that's okay. But the mistake that rookie op-ed um, writers make is that they just offer their expertise and they don't – sorry, they just offer their opinion and if they don't have expertise, they don't bother seeking out the expertise. So I think that that's vital. If you're going to write an op-ed piece and you're not, and you have an interest in the area, but no, you know, real authority or expertise, you need to at least seek out the opinions or or facts from people who are credible and who are experts in the area. And that's where a lot of op-eds get rejected. It's where it's simply someone's opinion, but no real level of credibility behind it. Mm-hmm. And, 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 I think that um, a lot of people think that when if they're good writers and they can write really well um, their opinions on their blogs, that doesn't necessarily give you an entree or an automatic entry into writing a respected op-ed piece in 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 the paper. You mm-hmm. need to have that extra level of expertise. Do you find that at all when you're when you come across do you actually come across people who feel that they want to get published because they've had a popular blog and feel that they can then transfer that into writing op-ed? Um yeah, I think so because I think I mean the 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 both the joy and probably, you know, one of the downfalls of of blogging in many ways is that there's no check or balance on a blog. So mm. you basically like it's you writing what you want and your opinion and it's your space and there's no, you know, there's no room for uh, I mean obviously in the comments you're always going to get people who will disagree with you but at the end of the day like it's your thing whereas you always have to remember, I guess, if you're wanting to be, if, if you want an op-ed published in anywhere else, is that there's always going to be an editor involved, and and I think mm. that that's where um, a lot of bloggers may become unstuck because, as you say, like your opinion is 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 definitely valid and it's important, but is it is it worth column space in one of the one of the newspapers? You know, is there any credibility to what you're saying, or is it just your opinion? Because I think it's 
really important to remember that everyone has them, those opinions. Um, yes. And you, everyone's got them. Um, mm-hmm. And you only have to look at the internet to know that everyone's got them. Um, so you need to be able to have uh, you need an opinion, but you also have to be able to back that opinion up with more than just, well, because I said so, or because that's the way it was yes. for me. Because it was the way it was for you doesn't necessarily make it a universal experience. And I think that that's also something that needs to be um, considered as well sometimes. Yeah. Um, because the universality of of an experience is what, you know, when you write a piece, a lot of bloggers, I think, and I, I do say this a bit, it's, it's, it's a little bit like, um, uh, you know, sometimes you'll, even as a creative writer, you'll write a scene in a book, in a novel, because you really want to write the scene. Like you really want that scene because you think it's going to be a great scene, but it doesn't necessarily serve the reader and it doesn't necessarily serve the characters. So you have to think about what the uh, and, and this is what editors always have in mind when they're, uh, you know, assessing submissions is what is this going to give my readers? They're not actually yeah. thinking about you as the writer. It's not necessarily just about what it's going to do for you and your career or whatever it is that you need um, or, you know, the $50. But it's about what is the, what value is in this particular piece for my readership. Um, and that's yeah. something that I think that um, you always need to keep in mind with an op-ed as well. What are you, yeah, what, for sure. What value are you offering the readership of that publication? For sure, and that value is often the either expertise or 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 a unique experience on it. A so one of experience. the things, yeah. yeah, one of the things this um, post says is readers will look to authors who have standing, either because they have experience in their field or unique experience of a subject. If you can offer neither on a given topic, you should not write about it, however passionate your views may be. Mm. So, yeah, interesting. All right. So let's move on to another link that I've got here, which reminded me of you. Mm. So it's called The Right – it's from The Right Life and it's called You Can Do Both, Three Ways to Balance Creative Writing and Freelancing. Because there are quite a lot of freelancers who write, you know, features and, you know, potentially op-ed and content. And then they get into the world of fiction because they find that they're interested in it. They discover they're passionate about it and they realize, okay, I want to go down the path of writing books, which is exactly what happened to you, right? You started off in features and freelancing and then you eventually went into the world of creative writing. And now you're, you're very, very successful in the world of creative writing. But when you're starting out, and you're earning your income from features, but you do need to carve out time to do the creative writing because there isn't the immediate payoff. It takes longer to publish a book than it does, obviously, to write an article and get paid for an article. This uh, particular post talks about some practical aspects of how to balance that so that you can still earn a healthy income from freelancing, right? Mm, and I'd be interested to know from you whether some of these tips were uh, what guided you in your early days when you were combining both. So um, one of the tips is my agenda is my best friend. So it's so important to make sure that you're on schedule, on time and blocking out relevant time for each type of work. Um, I limit my dis- distractions while freelancing so you're really really focused so that you can just get stuff done 
But the interesting one that I thought the, 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 the tip that she's provided is curbing my bills. So basically when she started freelancing, when, when she started combining both, she realised that she had to carve out a chunk of the author, who is Nicole Slaughter Graham, had to carve out a certain amount of time to do the creative writing and therefore wasn't earning any income from it um, immediately and therefore potentially was might have to live with a reduced income for a period. So she cut down her um, like her cable bill, she limited her shopping escapades, she um, cooked more. Did you find you had to do that at all? Or did you just work really hard? <laughs> well, I was get more done in less time. To be honest with you because you know like I um I moved to the south coast, so I left Sydney. Um mm. And you kind of, you've got to cook more. There's not as many things to do. Like it's kind of like that, you know, you, your lifestyle, you know, choices do have some impact on that. But to be perfectly honest, like I, I just, you know, for me it was like, well, the deadlines come first. I need to pay the bills. Mm-hmm. So I do the work first. Like the paid work always comes first with me, always. Yeah. Um, still to this day, like you, you, you have to be, you have to be sensible about, about mm-hmm. being, you know, uh, an author, you, you can't sort of just imagine that you're going to write a book and the book's going to come out and suddenly that's it. You're done. You're rolling in, in money in your backyard for the rest of your life. It's just not how it works, you know? So you're always going to be needing to, to, to balance this stuff. You're always going to be needing to balance, um, paid work and perhaps the work that is, um, you know, it will pay in the future, but not necessarily right now. And so for me, it's always like, well, you know, I just basically would set goals for myself. Of, I knew how much I had to earn. To, I mean, you know, it's to me. So you, you got to, you have to have a, you just have to have common sense about this stuff. Yeah. I knew how much I had to earn to, um, to cover, you know, the bills and the the, the things that needed to be done. Um, mm. So it would, I knew how many stories I needed to do per month to get that to get that done basically, mm. and then I would do my creative writing. Um, you know the because I wrote several manuscripts that are still not published. You know that are that were that were essentially. I mean, I look at them now and I see them as practice manuscripts. But we're talking ninety thousand words of practice manuscript here. You know, uh, two or three times. Um, so you know, it's it, that stuff uh, is always done when it's you know not going to sort of inconvenience anything else basically so that particularly in those early days when my kids were young as well um because that's the other joy is is managing all of all of that activity mm-hmm. as well um it was basically like that's when i really had my 10 p.m. to to midnight writing that's when i wrote my creative writing stuff at that point mm. so the time i had during the day and and yes the 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 business of scheduling interviews and all of that sort of stuff is very very important but i would also schedule writing time during the day for those um for those paid uh gigs for the freelance writing and then the writing uh stint between 10 p.m. and midnight was always just on on whatever creative project I was working on at the time. Um, but you just, you've got to give stuff up. Like it's, 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 you, you can't yeah. 
do all of the things and expect that your life is just going to go go on regardless. So yes, there were times when maybe I didn't see my friends as much as as um, they would have liked, and and you know I would have liked. Um, and you know yes, there were times. I I mean I. I just didn't watch TV for a long time. You know, it's, (laughs) there's a lot of stuff that you just have to give that's got to give so that you can have, particularly when you're balancing family, freelance, creative writing and, and whatever else you've got going on. So, um, but you, you do have to give stuff up. Like it's, I'm sorry, but it's just how it is. And, and that you have to work out what it is that you're willing to give up to, to, to kind of make that space in your life to do all those different kinds of writing, if that's what you want to do. So what I'm hearing is that you, A, need to be practical in that you still need to pay your mortgage and stuff. So the money stuff mm-hmm. comes first, but in mm-hmm. order to carve out the time, you give up not the money stuff, but other stuff. Other stuff. <laughs> in order yeah. to, to yeah. yeah have a yeah. block of time that you can do with That's your creative right. writing. And you, you make know, choices as well. Tenant. You have to make mm-hmm. choices as well about the about the freelance work that you're going to do. So at the right, end of yes. the day, you make the choices of, of um, you know, some of the work that I did particularly through those early years was definitely not the most creatively soul satisfying work I've ever done in my life, but it paid <laughs> well. You know, it was corporate yes. work. It was writing, it was writing newsletters. It was writing, you know, case studies for corporations. Yeah. And it was frankly as dull as dishwater. I became very, very good at superannuation in those days um, because it was a subject that I could uh, could write about for, for various places and, you know, it was so boring that I practically was falling asleep even writing it, but, um, <laughs> but it paid well. And what the other joy about that too is that if you're working on that kind of stuff, like it's always a challenge. You've always got to make something as good and as interesting and the best that it can be. Um, yes. But those kinds of stories don't take up as much of your creative energy as some of the other sort of, you know, big freelance um you know, editorial stories that I've done uh, in the past. And so it left me with more space in that creative part of my brain to actually focus on my manuscript as well. So it's all about balancing and, you know, making making choices. You make a choice to do this stuff or not, yeah. Now, this week I spotted a post written by Alison Tate, well, actually A.L. Tate. Do you want to tell us about that <laughs> on the creative oh, pen? Oh, the creative pen. Yeah, I'm thinking, what did I write this week? Okay, what am I doing? Yes, I wrote a piece, uh, thank you very much, to Joanna Penn, who, of course, is the um, the very successful author behind the website, The Creative Pen, and it is a sensational site, If you, particularly for indie publishers, for indie writers. She has got so much information on there. It's amazing. She has a podcast. She has a blueprint. She has all sorts of stuff. So I would definitely recommend having a look at it because we do get a lot of um, – I do share off her website a lot, you know, for the Australian Writers' Centre as well. Um, but the post I wrote for her is uh, about what writing for children can teach you about writing fiction. And it's all about the lessons that I have learned um, over sort of the course of the last sort of three or four years where I've been focused on writing for children and what it taught me about writing in general, like what I've learned about writing in general from writing for children. So... Yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's a it's a really great cool. post, and you should have a look at it. And the notes are, are the the link is in the show notes. 
Yes, which you can find at soyouwannabearwriter.com.au. Hmm. Now, I have one final link this week, which is not quite about writing, but I just thought it was cool, so I decided to include it because why not? And it's on the website called Quartz, and it's called Google's Most Searched How-To Questions, Capture All the Magic and Struggle of Being Human. Now, I don't want you to look at it. So hopefully you haven't looked at it, Al. No. But I, so basically it lists the global top 10 list on as of uh, September 1 on the most searched how-to questions around the world. Now, oh. can you take a stab at what is number one? So there's, there's 10 different ones, obviously, um, which only one of them is about writing. Oh. Uh, and, and it's number eight. Interestingly, it's called How to Write a Cover Letter. But, oh. yeah, what do you reckon number one is? Uh, how to change a tyre. Change a tyre? <laughs> yeah. That's what I'd Google. Really? Are you serious? <laughs> I'm serious. Oh, it's not okay. there? Oh, I'm so disappointed. Okay, so I would never have thought that in a million years. Well, change you know, a tire. I that's would why. That's why we're different, and that's why we co-host. <laughs> <laughs> I would Google, you know, what's how to fight how to like what? the NRMA what would you, what would or the Google? RACV. <laughs> I would ask someone to change a tire. I wouldn't know how to change a tire anyway. Number one, <laughs> believe it or not, is how to tie a tie. Oh, I've so good. I've Googled that. Both of my boys have to wear ties to school. And so we have been through many permutations of the YouTube video on how to tie a tie. That's just astounding. How to tie a tie. It's just. <laughs> I know. It's, and it's really funny because my younger son, who's 10, um, he's. He's uh, we we had him in the pre-tied tie for many many years because he's oh, kind yeah. of like it took him forever to tie his shoelaces, so I thought the tie would be beyond him. So this year he's finally in the actual tie it yourself tie. Real tie. And yeah. we must have watched that. We must have watched the YouTube videos, how to tie a tie YouTube videos about fifteen thousand times, and he still comes <laughs> out every morning. And I go, really? That's <laughs> that's what we're doing. Aww. today? <laughs> Oh, God, I love it. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, just it's different when you do it in the mirror, Mum. It looks different. <laughs> Thank God for YouTube, though. Um, the, most recently, I've been taking my iPad to bed, and even though I uh, get put on YouTube and I um, search for cute kittens playing, it's actually not for me to watch the cute kittens, pl- kittens playing because Rocky sits on my head and watches the iPad, watching the cute kittens playing and I just watch Rocky and it gives me so much entertainment it's 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 insane so just, to, just to clarify you do this every day yeah every night lately with Rocky my cat watching watching him watching YouTube watching kittens. oh dear oh this is just some kind of existential message in this for all of us but I'm so I, I don't know what it is anyway but anyway number two is how to kiss and <laughs> number Four. Well, number three is how to get pregnant. Number four, how to lose weight. Number five, how to draw. Number six, how to make money. Seven, how to make pancakes. Number eight, yeah, how to write a cover letter. Number nine, how to make French toast. How to make French toast. Seriously. Yes. And you thought my tyre one was weird. 
And number 10, how to lose belly fat. I think it's all the people who are making the French toast probably. <laughs> and the pancakes. <laughs> yes. Anyway, let's move. I just thought that was an interesting thing. So let's move on to our competition this week. So okay. this is really cool. I'm really excited because we actually have a prize, which is um, all of the books in the series, the Your One series by Shelley Unwin. And we've oh. had Shelley Unwin on the podcast. She is a graduate of the Australian Writer Centre and we're so proud of her. She's done so many fantastic um, things since doing courses at the Australian Writer Centre. Most recently, she released the Your One series of books. So you you receive in your prize um, the these books, your one, your two, your three, your four, your five. So if you've got a baby, you've got yourself covered for the next five years, okay? <laughs> or you can um, get these books and uh, give them away to people, to little little people <laughs> who are the right age. So each story is crafted to reflect a child's development developmental changes as the baby grows from exploring toddler to a confident five-year-old child. And, of course, these are written by Shelley Unwin and illustrated by Catherine Battersby. So if you want to win a, uh, a pack of these five books, then go to writercentercomau slash win and entries close on the 11th of September 2017. That's au slash win. All right. Now, are we ready, Al? For the word of the week. Oh, what a surprise. I'm so shocked. Yes, I'm prepared. Let's go. Hit All me. right. So this week's word of the week is asperity. Mm-hmm. So that's A-S-P-E-R-I-T-Y. Asperity. Mm-hmm. Do you know what it means? I do. I've used it. Really? You've used yeah. it? Where? When? Oh, How? in writing? Seriously? Well, it's, it's a tone. Yeah. It's sharp, sharp tone. Yes. Harshness. Yeah. I've used it. That's in, right. I'm sure I've used it in in my, probably in my book somewhere. Okay. I have not used it. So anyway, no, it means I win. sharpness. Yes, you win. <laughs> you, this mean, it means sharpness or harshness of temper. So you might say the teacher was frustrated with the year nine class and spoke to them with asperity. I'd say the teacher probably would, being year nine and all. Oh, yes, exactly. (laughs) I speak with asperity most mornings in this house as I try to get my children out (laughs) the door. A lot of asperity going on around here. No wonder you've used it. I have, yes. Ask my neighbours, they'll tell you. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so let's move on to who is our writer in residence this week? Dun-dun-dun, fanfare. Um. Oh, this week we're talking to the fabulous Jacqueline Harvey, who um, is one of Australia's best loved and best known and million selling, million, let's just take a moment to take that in, million or as selling as Eddie Maguire author. would say. Million. Eddie Maguire million. would say million. 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 <laughs> who wants to be a millionaire? Um, oh, it's like, um, it's like on, uh, I've been noticing the boys are watching The Block and that whole oh, yes. element thing. Have you noticed that? They talk about the elements in the room. I don't know if it's a Melbourne thing. Have a listen to it. I think so. because It's not elements. It's elements. I know, I know. I hear um, uh, people say uh, value and bedroom. 
The oh, elements in the bedroom. The elements. I know. I'm just yeah, like, people, it's an E. Let's talk about this. Anyway, that's not – that's, yeah. that's beside <laughs> the point. Let's have a chat to Jacqueline Harvey, who is amazing. Jacqueline Harvey has sold more than a million books in Australia and New Zealand, mostly through her best-selling Alice Miranda and Clementine Rose series, which are also available in the US, the UK, Indonesia, Brazil, Hungary, Turkey, and a whole range of other places. And they've been shortlisted for Children's Book Awards in Australia. Jacqueline has spent most of her working life teaching in girls' boarding schools and is a passionate ambassador for Dimmick's children's charities and Room to Read. So welcome to the program, Jacqueline Harvey. Thank you very much for having me, Alison. All right. Now, let's go all the way back to the beginning, back to the mists of time. How did all this begin? <laughs> like, how did your, this amazing kind of, you know, million-selling book thing that you've, that you've done, how did that all start? Uh, well, I suppose it started, you know, even before I was a teacher, I always loved the idea of stories. And, you know, I was a really passionate reader as a child. Um, I was one of those lucky kids who... You know, from the time I was about four, I had a library card. My mum would take me to the library every week, something I looked forward to immensely. So, you know, the idea of stories and books um, was always something that ticked away in the back of my mind. But as a kid, I never met any authors. And, uh, I, you know, I had this really sort of, I suppose, uh, mysterious view of, of who all these wonderful children's authors were and how did they work. And, you know, did they all live in cottages in the woods in England somewhere? <laughs> and uh, so the idea of actually being a writer was kind of, I suppose, out of reach for a very long time. And it wasn't until, until I started working as a teacher, which is something I wanted to do from the age of about nine, um, that uh, I I was working as a teacher and met some authors and thought, oh, wow, maybe this could happen for me one day. Um, you know, if I, if I find out more about it and you know, work out how to do it, perhaps it could happen. So I, I wrote a lot for my classes to begin with and wrote a lot of plays and poems and stories. And um, it wasn't until I was, uh, I suppose, about 30 years old that my husband said to me, you know, you talk about wanting to be a ki- an author for kids all the time. And I said, yeah, I know. And he said, no, no, you, you don't understand. You talk about it like nonstop. <laughs> and he, he threw me a challenge and he said, you know, are you, are you ever going to do anything about it or are you going to talk about it for the rest of your life? And I thought, you know what, I'm going to give this a red hot go. And, you know, I had a job that I loved, you know, I really, really enjoyed being in school and teaching. And so I suppose for me, it was more about, you know, throwing myself out there and seeing if I could do it. And as I say to kids all the time, when I meet them, you know, what would have been worse than if I'd tried and it hadn't worked out? And kids generally work out that it would have been much worse if I'd never tried at all. Mm. And so that's kind of the decision that I made. All right, so what was the first novel you wrote? Like when you, just, when you, when you were like, okay, I've decided I'm going to be a children's author. What, what was the first thing that you did? Like what was the first sort of manuscript that you produced? Oh, well, the very first story that I ever wrote was um, actually became, um, it became an award-winning picture book called The Sound of the Sea. Oh. And I, my husband and I were living at Byron Bay at the time and I'd, I'd had a, a series of experiences with kids that I'd been teaching, really sad things that had happened um, where four kids that I'd been working with in the space of about three years each lost a parent and it was it was a really tragic horrible time and uh, I don't know why for some reason I was standing on South Golden Beach one afternoon fishing with my parents and um, and I thought about these children and you know the, the tragedy of their you know young lives and I went home and I wrote this book and I know it sounds terrible but I, I literally wrote it in probably a couple of hours and 
never thought it would get it published, never thought anybody would read it. You know, I really wrote it, I suppose I wrote it as a, a bit of a catharsis for myself. And I ended up entering it in a competition called, at the time it was called the Frustrated Writers Mentoring Competition with the Children's <laughs> Book Council of New South Wales. Uh, a more apt name I don't think ever existed. And so I entered it in that competition, thought nothing more of it, and set about writing a funny book. So a completely different, you know, writing a, um, a humorous, uh, the idea was to write a humorous series um, about a little girl who lived near the sea and, and her mum was, uh, mum and dad were divorced and she was worried that her mum was going to be lonely forever. So she decided that she'd try and, you know, set mum up on a, a few dates. So, you know, the, the sort of disastrous things that happened. Anyway, um, I ended up moving back to Sydney and hadn't thought anything more of the competition. And within about a week of moving down to Sydney, um, found out that I'd won that competition with the CBCA. Wow. And that for me really opened. It It didn't end up seeing the book get published, you know, very quickly. Uh, it still took, that was in 2001, and that book was eventually published in 2005. Wow. So it took, for, it took forever. Um, but in the meantime, what it did do for me was, when I, I, I had sent the, the funny book manuscript out to several publishers and I had also sent the manuscript of The Sound of the Sea and because The Sound of the Sea had been picked up and you know, won the competition, it was <laughs> ironic that um, Random House was actually sponsoring the competition at the time and they had first right of refusal on the manuscript. So I had to ring around to any publishers I'd sent it to and ask for it back and when I did... Instead of being, you know, stopped at the, at the reception, uh, receptionist, I ended up being able to speak to a couple of publishers. And that, for me, really just got me, a, an, you know, my, my little tiny little toe in the door. And mm. uh, in the, I ended up getting the, the funny series. I wrote three books in that series. It was called the Codename Series and was published by Lothian Books in Melbourne. And um, at The Sound of the Sea ended up being published by them as well eventually. And then ironically, you know, after all of that, I, I um, I like to sort of say I took a walk in the wilderness for nearly five years. I didn't have anything come out, and I I was a bit confused. I think about who I wanted to be as a writer, whether I wanted to do picture books or whether I wanted to write YA and, or or middle grade. And I was dabbling with all sorts of different things. And it was at that time that I hit on the idea of Alice Miranda, and um, you know, Alice Miranda was rejected by several publishers before Random House picked it up. And, you know, ironically, Random House never, ever saw that manuscript for The Sound of the Sea, but then they've been my publisher for Alice Miranda and Clementine Rose. And, and um, yeah, so in 2010, the Alice Miranda journey began and um, it's just been amazing since then, I have to say. Yeah, I was going to say, so I didn't realise that um, I didn't realise that she, that Alice Miranda wasn't the first, you know, series character that you'd created. No. And, and also, like, really, the that's a f- relatively short time in publishing, 2010 for the first book, for the series yep. to have just taken off the way that it has. Did, did that surprise you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, you, you dream about that as an author. You know, you dream that maybe you'll write something that is, is well-loved by many, many kids. But, um, yeah, for, for me, you know, when I wrote Alice Miranda, it was, it was interesting because I had no contract, I had no expectations, and I really did... I think the first book took me about two and a half years to write it because I I just wanted to write the best book that I could have written at the time and the book that I would have loved if I was, you know, 9, 10, 11 years old. And so for me it was about really focusing and concentrating on, you know, what would make this book the best book it, it can be. And I actually sat down before I even started it and I thought about 
what were the ingredients of the stories that I had loved the best when I was a child and why did I love them the best? And then I looked at books that had stood the test of time and why have they stood the test of time and what is it that makes, you know, like Pippi Longstocking still stand out or Anne of Green Gables or Matilda? And I, I did quite a big analysis of, um, mm. of the literature before I even started. And I thought, well, you know, you've got to have a quirk. You've got to have points of difference. And interestingly for me, um, Alice Miranda, her, her point of difference, I think, in, in many respects, was that she's so perpetually positive. She's so on all the time and up all the time. And, um, and I think that came about from the fact that she was inspired by three little girls that I had taught in the beginning and they were all very positive kids. Um, you know, one never had a smile off her face. One, one was actually a boarder that I taught when she was, she was only nine. And uh, anyway, her situation was, you know, I, I thought it was pretty tricky, but she was incredibly positive about the situation. And, you know, she said to me one day, well, you know, I'm just a kid and I couldn't change it even if I wanted to. So I could be happy or I could be sad and I'd much rather be happy. And thinking yes. about these things kids have said to me over the years, you know, that, that Alice Miranda sort of started off inspired by these three little, three little girls, two of whom I still see very regularly and they're not little girls anymore. <laughs> um, and, uh, and who love the fact that, you know, she inspired, was inspired by them. And, and actually, funnily enough, both of them have said to me, oh, she's so much nicer than we ever were when we were kids. <laughs> um, she, she kind of grew into, I like to think that she became the best bits of lots of kids, boys and girls, that I've taught over the years. And so, yeah, for me, Alice Miranda... I don't know. It just I had I had no expectations of of out there in the world, but I had very high expectations of myself in what right. I could maybe do. Okay. Yeah. Did you get a sense that she would be a series right from the beginning? Like, did you set out to create oh. a series character? <laughs> yeah, would you believe? I actually first thought I would write her as a picture book. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I had this crazy idea that she would be, you know, this really sweet little girl, goes to boarding school, that'd be a picture book, happy days, wrap that up. And when I started really thinking about it and looking at the sort of characters that I was developing, I thought, no, this deserves, you know, this, this needs, not deserves, this needs more than a picture book. And then when it, when it came down to it, by the time I was probably a quarter of the way in, I was thinking, oh, I know what I could do in the next one. Oh, she could do this in the next one. And so I ended up pitching it as a series. And, and I kind of knew from not very long in that it was, you know, that's where we were headed. Okay. Um, but I had no idea that, you know, we would be on the cusp now of launching book number 16 in the series. Mm. So who knew that it would go for this long? <laughs> wow. So do you think, like, is, it, is that point of difference that you were talking about there, you know, when, when you were doing your analysis and looking at the sort of the mm. books with longevity, is, is that point of difference the key to creating a character that will carry a series, do you think? I think so. I think, you, I think your characters have to be so engaging. And, you know, we, we talk, well, certainly, you know, as, um, as writers, there's, there's a, a school of thought that if your character doesn't grow and change, then it's not interesting. And I find it's been, it's been interesting for me with Alice Miranda because she doesn't really change that much, but people around her do. Mm. And so, you know, that's another interesting thing. The, the other thing is, you know, the lessons that we're sort of taught is that um, kids won't engage with a character who's younger than themselves. Well, Alice Miranda, when it first starts, she's seven and a quarter, but all her friends are much older than she is. And right. so, you know, her best friend Millie is already 10. Now, I, um, you know, I've, I've been, I guess, bobsmacked by the fact that I've got kids who come to events still who are now 17 and 16 years old 
um, even at the weekend, I did an event and I have a, a boy who has read every Alice Miranda. He's now 11 and oh, he adores her. So, you know, that whole thing of what are the rules, I feel like I've kind of broken the broken all the rules with Alice Miranda and with Clementine Rose too because she's quite young as well. And yet it hasn't seemed to impact negatively on the readership. Mm. So I don't know. I mean, that finding a point of difference, but how do you find the point of difference and make it work? I mean, that's obviously some sort of um, strange magic that I really can't put my finger on. It's <laughs> funny, isn't it? Isn't a kind of alchemy involved in it in some ways, isn't there? <laughs> Um, I think so. I think sometimes you just don't know what it is, but it, it just works. So with both of your series, like do you approach, like you, as you said, you're up to book 16 with Alice Miranda and how mm-hmm. many are now in the Clementine Rose series? 13. 13, 13. Clementine Rose. Okay. Yep. So do you approach each book separately or have you got like a grand plan in mind of where the narrative arc of this, of these, I mean, how can you right. plan a series arc when you don't actually know how many you're writing? Yeah, well, in fact, I mean, it's been interesting because Alice Miranda, every book stands alone. So um, even there's there's obviously, you know, it's helpful to read them in order in that you get a sense of who the characters are that are coming in. But we, we have a cast of characters at the back of the book. So if, you, you know, if, you, if you're joining the series at number seven or whatever, then you can go to the back and work out, you know, who, who's who in the, in, in the zoo, if you like. Yeah. But... Um, with, so with Alice Brandon, no, there was no sort of plan to write a grand arc, overarching you know, story arc. With Clemmy, that's been really interesting because with Clemmy, there was there's been an enduring mystery from the beginning. Um, so Clementine Rose is an orphan. When we first meet her, she's um, she's delivered in the back of the baker's van in a basket of dinner rolls, and uh, has a nose attached to her blanket and is adopted by Lady Clarissa Appleby, who um, who becomes her mum. And so there, right from the start, I had in my mind that eventually I would let the readers know who, well, about her heritage, who she, who she is, where she came from. But so right from the beginning, I did have it in my mind that um, at some stage there would be a big reveal about, you know, Clemmie and her family. So in her family, there's Clarissa Appleby, who's her, her adoptive mum. And then she has, uh, Clarissa has an aunt, Violet, so effectively Clementine's great aunt, Violet. And right from sort of the time when we meet her, there's really um, similar things about them. So their eyes are exactly the same colour and, and um, you know, there's other things. They both love fashion, this sort of thing. And so in book number 13, uh, Clementine's mother is actually getting married to a fellow called Drew and Drew has a little boy called Will. So Clemmie's about to become, you know, a member of a blended family. Mm. And I thought that was the perfect time to reveal you know who her real parents were, oh. and how she's actually how how she's actually related by blood to Clarissa, and um, so it, it's funny because kids have said to me, "Oh, is that the end?" But uh, no, it's not. Oh. <laughs> even though I've even though I've done that reveal, um, there's still more Clemmies to come. So, right. so you've had so obviously as the author, you've known her full backstory the whole time, or this has revealed itself yes. as to you. Okay, cool. So you went into that um, with a plan. Yeah, no, I went into Clemmy. I mean, not completely organised with it, but certainly I always knew um, what her relationship would really be to Aunt Violet. And um, I, I had that sort of in my head right from the start. But, you know, other things reveal themselves. You know, I, I thought I, I didn't really know about the dad until I, you know, thought that out when I was about to write this book. <laughs> so so it's, nice, it's still nice to be able to surprise yourself and have things just sort of pop into your head. 
Yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it, how that works? It's just sort of like, oh, there yes. you go. That's what that meant. Excellent. <laughs> oh, I know. Sometimes, some, some, I mean, there, there's, it would never ceases to, to amaze me that sometimes I get quite close to the end of the book and I change my idea completely about who the bad guys are. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Alice Miranda came out, the first one you said, in 2010. So we're now 2017. Yep. You've got 16 Alice Mirandas and 13 Clementine Roses. You've been really busy. I have. Yeah, I have. I've been writing about, um, I think I've worked out that I've been writing about a quarter of a million words a year for the last, I don't wow. know. Wow. Okay. But, so how um, long have you I been? I was working full time as well until the end of 2012. So Wow. Yeah, that was my next question. How long have you been mm. writing full time? So you were working full time for the first two years yep. of this. Um, how many books did you produce yeah. in that time? Uh, so by the time I left my, my job, I was working in a school. Um, I was, I'd actually been the deputy head of, at this school and then I moved to become the director of development, would you believe, madly in the school's 125th year. So I was in charge of about a bazillion events that, that year. Um, yeah, so I was, um, I think by the time I finished that, I'd, I'd done that for nearly three years and I'd written, well, I must have written about six Alice Miranda books and the first Clemmy had just come out when I was wow. leaving. So, but I'd already written like the next one. So I was pretty much for, uh, you know, people ask me how I did it and, you know, I'm not, I'm not, you know, overstretching it to say, I don't think I had a weekend off for about two, maybe nearly three years wow. um, because I would work every weekend on the books. And I kind of, you know, I, it got to the point where I was really, you know, I had a great job at school and I loved school, but I got to the point where I, I suppose um, actually a child asked me the other day, do you have a, a motto or a philosophy that you live by? And I said, yeah, I do actually. I said, it's don't waste a minute and don't die wondering. <laughs> and, um, and it got to this point where I thought, well, I'm not going to die wondering whether I can do this full time or not. And I think the catalyst for me was I, I went on long service leave and instead of doing what, you know, most normal people would do in long service leave and, you know, maybe take a bit of a holiday or go somewhere interesting. I, I, I did go somewhere interesting, but I organised a, I think it was about, an, it must have been nearly 12-week book tour across the United States and in the UK. Wow. And to, uh, to France and to Hong Kong. And, and in doing that, it was really about, could I do this for the rest of my life? Is that, you know, would I love this as much as I think I'm going to love this? And uh, I came back to work and much to the horror of my, my wonderful boss, who I loved and adored and still do, um, I, I resigned about two weeks after I got back. Wow. And, uh, you know, <clears throat> after she got the shock of it, uh, you know, she was incredibly happy for me and, and has been, you know, a huge supporter the whole time. But for me, it really was about, you know, it, it was about having a strategy too because, you know, we, we all know how hard it is to make a living as a writer in Australia and, or anywhere in the world. And for me, it was it was strategic. I knew how much I had to do before I could probably um, make that step. Mm. So is there a rhythm to your life as an author now? Like do you, in the sense of how many books are you writing each year and do you set aside different times for writing and different times for events and all of that sort of stuff? Yeah, look, I'm finding, I'm, I'm sort of finding after nearly five years now that I'm, I'm getting myself into a better rhythm. Um, mm. This year, I'm not touring overseas. I, I've, I've been to the UK uh, about seven times since 2012, I think, and that's been a, a huge thing to do every year, and especially because I organise, I've organised those tours myself. Wow. And this year, I've, I've started to take a year uh, off from doing that. And um, so the, it, it's really about I, 
I plan probably almost two years ahead in terms of what I'm going to be writing. Um, I had a meeting yesterday with my publisher and we sat down and we looked at the schedule for the next year and a half and what was going to come out when and when they would be due. And so what that does is um, it, it helps me to look at, well, how many days do I have to write this book? Um, how many days will there be until it's published after it goes in? And so we do, we, we are very planned in that regard. Um, so I am still writing about five books a year, but um, I'm working on something new at the moment. So um, at the moment, that's kind of, uh, in a sense, I suppose, taking a lot of my focus. Uh, but still, there will be more Alice Round and Clementine Roses as well. Gosh. So do you have a daily yeah. routine when you're writing? Like to produce five books a year, you, you, yeah. there's some serious discipline involved in getting those words done. Yeah, yeah definitely. And, you know, for me, I, I'm usually up at the computer by about 7.30, 8 o'clock in the morning. And um, this year, because I've been home more and I haven't been touring as much, it's been great. I've been going off at... Uh, at about quarter past nine, I got to do, um, we, we have these great exercise classes in the park just up the road from me. So I've, I've been going with my neighbour and we've been going off and doing a bit of cross training and boxing and yoga, which has been good. And so I, I sort of had that, I guess it's about an hour and a quarter out in the morning, which has been really nice on the days, obviously, that I can do that. Um, and then I come home and I usually work through until about six. Um, but it depends, you know, like two days ago, I had a deadline on a, an edit for the new book. And, you know, I worked from sort of 7 o'clock in the morning till half past 10 that night just to get it done. So, you know, it, wow. it, it also is, it hinges on, you know, what's, you know, what's due, um, you know, what do you have to get done? And, you know, obviously uh, it's, it's coming up book week is next week, so I'm full on out every day, you know, from actually from tomorrow um, until the end of next week. But it's... Um, it, I, I look at my schedule and I plan. So I don't just plan with my publisher. I also plan with the publicists as well. And so we look at um, when are the optimal touring times, when are we going to go on tour. And I, I pretty much know a year ahead um, when I'll be touring as well. So that's really helpful, you know, being able to work out, okay, you've got a run of six weeks here, you're not touring, um, but then you're going flat stick touring for four weeks. So wow. um, it, it is yeah, it is quite planned in that in that respect. So I can I can usually sort of know roughly what I'm doing, you know, six months ahead of time. How long does it actually take you to write a book? Like in the sense of are you one of those people oh. that like just tries to blast out a draft or do you, you know, are you more measured and you edit as you go or how do you actually, like how long does oh, it take you? I, I edit. I, I edit as I go. So, so as I said, like the first self it took me two and a half years because I had no pressure, no deadlines, no expectations except on myself. Um, now with Alice Miranda, you know, the, the, I always go over. I'm terrible at, at, you know, sticking to the word limit. And Alice Miranda has grown from being, you know, the first book was 45,000 words. Well, the the books after about book number four, they're roughly anywhere between 60, 60 and 65,000 words. So they're, they're quite long. Um, and uh, so I, I hate when I do this and I always find I do it if I haven't planned it enough. Um, but you know this Alice Miranda in Hollywood, which I'm is coming out in, officially in September. Um, when I handed that in, it was seventy four thousand words long, <laughs> and uh, I knew we'd have to get it back to about sixty. I think it's actually about sixty three. Um, but I wrote seventy four thousand words in thirty nine days because I knew I, it was it was the most pressured I've ever had to do because I just had this. Um, just the, the way things had sort of worked, I knew this was probably going to be the most time-pressured one that I'd done. 
But, um, yeah, I, I got it out. I'm really happy with it. I love the story, love the crazy characters in it. Um, yeah, so, I mean, ideally it would be nice to have – I can probably, you know, optimal do about sort of 50, 60,000 words in two months. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, you've got all that editing that goes – you know, like we, I, you know, I edit back and forth numerous, numerous – you know, many times with um, editor Katrina – um, and I'm really fortunate. My, my editor, I think she's absolutely brilliant. And, you know, we have huge trust in each other as far as the writing goes. Um, but for a Clemmy, Clemmy's around about 18,000 words. And I can I can probably knock one of them out in about three weeks. Um, perhaps less if I have to. But, Do you think but that's because... Is that, yeah, I was going to say, is that partly because you're working in a world that you're totally familiar with and you know the stories yeah. are going and, yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of it's got to do with the fact that you know the characters so intimately. Um, but I do sit and I plan out the big ideas for the story. So I know the kind of major plot twists and turns and and I always start with a good idea of the ending because I, I don't like sort of surging towards nothing. Mm. Um, and for me, because I, I can tend to, you know, overwrite 10,000 words, um, I'd rather not if I, if I don't have to. And it's been really interesting with the new book. Um, you know, I've spent – this new book's been in my head for – Oh gosh, I would say eight years or so. These characters have been percolating in the in the back of my head, and about probably a year ago, I really started sitting down and and in between, you know, Alice Miranda or Clemmy plotting out about these characters and who they are, and and so I've I've spent probably a year already working on this. Not quite a year, but um, yeah, probably about nine months already working on the the story. And really the, the draft that I've just finished and handed in, um, I, I was determined not to go over 50,000 words. And I think I handed it in at about 50,000, 50, maybe 51,000. So I was really happy that I'd planned it so tightly um, that I kind of knew that I, I wasn't going to run a million miles over, to, over, over the story, over the, um, sorry, the limit. All right, so we just talked about the fact that you do a lot of touring, you know, you're doing a lot of events, you do a lot of author visits. Um, is that, do, do you think that those, is that because you think that face-to-face visits are the best way for children's authors to really get their books out into the market? Is that, is that why you do so much kind of face-to-face stuff? Uh, look, I, I think for kids, you know, for me, it's, it's a lot, of, lot to do about the fact that I was a teacher and, and I never met an author when I was growing up, so I think... You know, I want kids to understand that this is not a, a pie in the sky kind of a career. That you know, if you if you really want it, you can do it. And mm. I'm living proof that that can happen. And I think for kids, it's very inspiring to meet, you know, to meet an author and to get to know how how the processes all happen for them, and also to know that there's a lot of perseverance and there's a lot of um, resilience required to do this job. Um, so I think. You know, there's that element of it for me. For me, it's also about just getting back into school because I love the whole being in school thing. And, mm. and you know, there's often, oftentimes things will happen that when I'm in schools and I'll think, oh, that would make a funny anecdote in a story. Or, you know, you can often pick, for me, it's, you know, I, I pick funny things up and, you know, there's um, there's a, a character in the new story who is completely inspired by a character that I met in England, a teacher <laughs> that I met in England. Um, and uh, he will be very excited about that. Um, so yeah, for me, a lot of it is, is um, you know, it's research as well. And and I think kids, you know, the best way 
for kids to find out about great kids' books is word of mouth. And so, you know, if kids meet you and they love the story, then they're going to tell their friends. And, you know, kids kids are a really powerful audience. Mm. So I assume you're, I mean, your teaching background obviously helps a lot with, with author visits because I know a lot of authors who've never kind of been in a classroom. It's quite a confronting thing to go along, you know, and do your first author visits and things like that. I mean, I'm, I'm sure yeah. you probably were just like, yeah, whatever, here I am. But um, what are your tips for a successful author visit? Like as far as you're concerned, what do you think is the key to kind of making it go well? Um, well, be really well prepared. So, you know, um, it, it, it helps if you can send information to the schools beforehand so that they know a bit about you and that they are getting excited about the fact that you're coming. Um, I think in actually doing the event, you know, you need to be really engaging. Kids, it's a show. You know, essentially, you've got to be funny. You've got to be, you know, and, and you've got to know when to take it how far to take things before you pull it back because the other thing is you don't want your audience descending into chaos, especially mm. if you're not a teacher. I mean, I, I can still tend to silence a group of kids with a you know, bit of a hairy eyeball look, but um, it's, um, I, I guess it's just about that level of engagement and making sure that the kids are interested. Um, you know, to me, it's a lot about, I tell, tell lots of humorous anecdotes about my childhood. I am not afraid of making a fool of myself uh, completely. Uh, but I also try and make it educational as well. So I talk about, you know, the impo- what are the best ingredients or the most important ingredients in stories? And I, I ask the kids um, questions. So there's that interaction and engagement between the, myself and the, the kids. Mm. Um, and sometimes, depending on what I'm doing, you know, I, when I when I was first um, talking about Clementine Rose, I, I we do a um, a little excerpt, an acting excerpt from the story. And so, you know, I have this thing where Clementine goes down into the sitting room and there's a man with, um, and his hair is sitting at a funny angle and he's asleep and he's snoring very, very loudly. And so she um, she looks at him and she sort of thinks there's something wrong with his hair. So she touches his hair and as she does, it slides off and falls on the floor. <laughs> and so I actually have a kid who dresses up to be the man in the sitting room and I have a little girl who, you know, a little, not, not necessarily always a girl. We've had boys be Clementine as well. And, you know, we pop a bow. So I've got pop a bow in their hair and, and I, I have just a, like a little suite of props and then in the background on the big screen I have a fireplace and an armchair um, so the kids sit in an armchair. So ah. like being able to do something dramatic is really fun and really simple. So simple drama um, works, can work really, really well. So yeah, it's about that engagement and just being, you know, and I suppose too being um, being aware that sometimes kids will say things that you're not expecting them to say. <laughs> um, I, I do recall, um, I, I do recall a little boy. I was at a school in the Blue Mountains one day, and I had the whole school, so it was K to six, and that's that's always a challenging audience when you've mm. got you know from the littlest to the biggest all in one group. And I was asking the kids, you know, what do you like in stories? And you know, kids are saying, oh, I like mystery, I like adventure, and this five-year-old in the front puts up his hand and says. Oh! <laughs> and you can imagine the rest of the group just fell about. And I sort of looked at him and I said, do you mean like romance? And he went, yeah, like when people love each other. <laughs> and it brought the house down. But it's kind of responding, like how do you respond to that? So he wasn't embarrassed. And, you know, it, I, I think I, I've quite successfully saved the day in that scenario. Yeah, wow. Okay. Because, yeah, as you say, like you, you kind of have to expect the unexpected, don't you, when you go into a classroom yeah. environment. Yeah. Um, exactly. Do you do other um, – 
do you do other kinds of promotional stuff at all? Are you like, do you, are you conscious of what you're doing online and all of that sort of stuff as well? Yeah, definitely. So I, I write, um, uh, I have a website and on the website I have a newsletter and um, I send that newsletter out every month and I have, um, you know, lots of people who subscribe to that and it's about, you know, writing engaging content and making sure that, you know, there's always something interesting in there and, um, you know, recently I, I've read some really great books by um, other friends of mine who are authors and so I've, I've written about those. I, I wrote about um, Belinda Morell's lovely new series and I wrote... Yeah. Uh, uh, a review about Felice Arena's The Boy and the Spy. So, you know, just I guess being able to engage with your audience in that way is, is really great as well. Um, I, I do events sometimes. Uh, I sometimes uh, do uh, conferences for adults as well. Mm-hmm. So, you know, being able to reach the adult audience or aspiring writers, I think that's really important. And often I'll engage with people um, through email uh, people write to me in that way, mm. and uh, and I write write blogs as well. I write a blog, and so um, people engage on the blog. So there's there's lots of different ways that you can you know be talking to your audience if you like. And you can um, have a look at all of those things at jacquelineharvey.com.au because that's where you'll find. Um, Jacqueline's hub on the internet. All right, well, um, just to wrap up today, um, let's have a look at the very important question of your three top tips for aspiring writers. Okay, my three top tips. I think, well, first of all, you need to be a reader and you need to read and you need to know what's out there in the world. Um, And I think you need to, to work out who you want to be as a writer, what sort of stories do you love the most you know for me it was about finding you know realizing that when I write a story I'm nine years old you know that's my that's my part of the the world um and I think the other thing is fall in love with your characters you know if if you don't love them then it's going to be hard for your audience to love them so for me it's about writing engaging characters and really falling in love with them so I think that's, is that three? <laughs> I think. It sounds like three to me. I think that's fair. I was sorry, I was yeah. so busy listening. I wasn't counting because maths is really not my forte. But um, that, that sounds terrific. Um, so thank you very, very much for your time today, Jacqueline. It's been lovely chatting to you, particularly when I know how incredibly busy you are with your uh, very successful writing um, and author business because that's essentially what's going on over there. Um, but yeah. Yeah, best of luck with the, with the new book and with, of course, the new series, which is coming next year and which I can't wait to yeah. hear more about. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's been lovely to chat. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. If you'd like to write fiction for kids and teens, our five-week online course, Become a Children's Author, will help you get there faster. Find your voice, create characters, dialogue and plots to fit your age group and write compelling stories that young readers will love, all in a couple of hours a week. You'll also enjoy the convenience of learning from anywhere and get your very own tutor providing personal feedback on your writing. Find out more at writerscentre.com.au slash children's author. That's writerscentre.com.au slash children's author. There you go, Jacqueline Harvey. Great interview, Al. Oh, look, she's just, you know, like the thing I love about... about um you know, interviewing some of these super successful authors is just how down to earth they are, how incredibly mm. generous they are with their, um, you know, with their information and their inspiration. And of course, 
you know, Alice Miranda in Hollywood is the 16th book in the Alice Miranda series and it's out 16, now. Yeah. 16th. Wow. And I guess what surprised me too is like I, you know, they haven't actually been around all that long, like nowhere near as long as I kind of thought they had um, for them to be so successful. So, you know, good on you, Jacqueline. Very, very proud. And I hope that Alice Miranda in Hollywood goes gangbusters for you. Yep. Fantastic. All right. So I thought I would discuss before we signed off, because right. uh, we mentioned earlier in the podcast how you um, guest posted on The Creative Pen. Mm. And what I'm interested to know is because people say that guest posting is a good idea and that it works, but I think that it's all about choosing the right places to guest post. You shouldn't just guest post willy-nilly, right? So what no. would you say is some guidelines on what are some good choices on where to guest post if you are trying to build your platform as an author and, you know, if you've got a certain end goal, maybe you've got a book coming out, what is the ideal place to guest post? Well, I guess there's a couple of things at play here. So I've I've done a, a fair bit of guest posting over the years with different books coming out, with different things that I was doing. Back in the early days when I was building my blog, um, and that was pretty much, you know, that was the end goal, building my blog, um, I was writing guest posts for um, – you know, a a whole range of different places. And I think what you learn over time is that you really need to align your, your goal with the readership of the blog that you're actually, um, you know, considering guest posting for. So, you know, if you're, if you're looking to, if you're looking to write a post about, um, that, that is going to bring you a whole lot of new readers for your books, then you really, you're probably writing a post about writing on a writing blog is possibly not going to be actually the best, um, the best place for you in some ways. However, um, and you're going, Al, why are you on the creative pen? Well, I'm on the creative (laughs) pen. No, no, seriously. Like, because these are the things I do think about. Um, I'm on the creative pen for a whole range of different reasons. Like I have been blogging now for nearly nine years and I have Mm. a huge archive, a massive archive of Mm. writing articles. And they're the kind of articles that um, a lot of people have been with me right from the start and they've read every single one. But I, they, if I find if I guest post at places like the Creative Pen, for interest, for in, for instance, mm-hmm. um, that the activity through that backlog, through that archive of my website, goes up exponentially. Like I may not get a huge because the other thing you need to realize about guest posting too is that you're talking to that particular blogger's audience. So. Yeah. they're there for your content. They're not necessarily there for you. And that's fine, um, which is why you've got to be very careful about making sure that if you've got a book coming out, that your book cover is on the site, that your website link is, you know, you have a link back to your website. Think really carefully about how you write your bio and what that information, you know, what information you're going to put in that, that will most appeal to the readers of that blog, not necessarily to, you know, to you necessarily. Um, so what I what what happens with that is my interest is not only sort of like um, a you know sharing 
what I know about, you know, writing for kids, positioning myself as a person who does write for children, who has written six books, who has learned along the way from doing that, that the books are now in the US and that's, you know, all of this information is in that post. So I'm getting that information out there, which then also comes up, you know, for many, many years to come through search. I mean, this is the other thing, Mm. like the internet has a long tail. So you're on a blog that has a huge readership and you're there for a long time. And so these are the kinds of things you've got to keep in mind when you're choosing A, where you're going to go and B, what kind of posts you're going to write for that particular website. So mm. um, so those are the, some of the things that I considered. Um, but what, it, what I find interesting about it is the people who do come to my website from um, from the Creative Pen, from Joanna's website, they stay for a little while. Like they're actually there and they're going through my back, you know, the, the writing section of my website has had you know, quite an exponential growth over the last, you know, the, the, the post has only been up for a couple of days, but I can see that the activity there of people following the backlinks and going for through the, you know, I, cause I have the WordPress, you know, you may also like, you know, yeah. this post at the bottom of things. I created a specific landing page on my website for those people, um, mm. that did come back to my site. And on that website, it, there's a, well, there's a little welcome message. There are very direct links to this is where you'll find more about me. This is where you'll find more about writing. This is where you can find more about my book. You know, it's really specific. It's not just my, it's not just, here's my homepage, work it out for yourself. It's here's my landing page. This is where you might be interested in going in my site. So next week, for instance, I have a, a, a pod, a, blog post about mm-hmm. the about podcasting coming up for another mm-hmm. big American site and I've created a different landing page because the people that come from that website are going to be slightly different again. Um, yes. So it's all about sort of like looking at the readership of those particular blogs and thinking, well, what are these people going to be most interested in on my website? How do I get them to hang around long enough to realise that my books are amazing and they should buy them immediately? And that's kind of where it all comes from as well. I love it and I love that tip of creating a specific landing page for the readers of that blog, which is uh, it's such an easy thing to do because essentially it could be a, a blog post, yeah. um, but it's specific to them. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. This is great and this is why I love getting platform building tips and sharing platform building tips from Alison because she's just a master at this. She knows exactly what you need to do in order to build your author platform. And if you're interested in building your author platform, I strongly suggest that you start doing it sooner rather than later. Do not wait until your book comes out. Definitely start building it even while you're still writing your book, even while your book is merely a thought in your brain. Mm-hmm. Um and, and you can get a step-by-step blueprint and everything you need to do every step of the way from Alison's course, which is called How to Build Your Author Platform. And you can find out more at writercenter.com.au slash platform. That's writercenter.com.au slash platform. All right. This brings us to the end of this week's episode. Al, what are you doing in the coming week? Well, Val, I'm – you know, dusting off the streamers and preparing myself for the launch of the Book of Secrets next week. Oh, yeah. Next Tuesday, the this 12th of so September. Exciting. I'm oh also, and you know, here we are. This We're going to do all this in the last two seconds of the blog of the podcast again as we do. <laughs> um, I'm also, um, I've got a great giveaway going on that is going Ooh. to be for my newsletter subscribers only. Um, I'll put a link to the show notes in that of where you can sign up. But I'm giving away... Yes 
one signed copy of the Book of Secrets, one signed copy of the first book of the Mapmaker Chronicles, and a very special limited edition Money Can't Buy Mapmaker Chronicles cap, which, of course, Val will be getting one of the limited edition <laughs> because she tells me that her head is too enormous for an adjustable cap. And so I need to send her one so I can imagine her wearing it. Um, but yes, if you would like to be, um, if you would like to, you know, be, um, what's the word I want, Val? You know, ready to enter that yes. comp- that giveaway. You need to subscribe to my uh, newsletter before the twelfth of September. So I will put the link in the show notes with all of the details. But Won't even I? if you're not in the show notes, you can easily sign up to Alison's newsletter at oh alisontate.com. Yes, yes, there is that. A-L-L-I-S-O-N-T-A-I-T.com. Yeah, so you can just sign up there to make sure that you're in the running. Yes. Now, Alison, I have had a lot of experience with hats and caps <laughs> and stuff. So, yes, I'll be interested to see whether, in fact, it will fit my head because Alison wasn't referring to my ego. She wasn't <laughs> saying that I think my ego is so enormous, but I just seem to have quite a large head. Anyway, so while Alison is doing very exciting well, things like launching – <laughs> like launching her amazing new book i'm not doing something quite that exciting i'll probably be yelling at the supermarket online delivery because they didn't deliver well i won't yell at them i'll be nice to them and i will gently point out that they didn't deliver an incredible 200 dollars worth of pet food so my pets are currently starving so um that will be next on my agenda. I know, my life, so glamorous, so full. <laughs> now you just sound like me, like really. You've just you've come back to my level, haven't you? You've come back to wearing your dressing gown at home and shouting at the home delivery service. I knew I'd get you in the end. <laughs> All right, so in the meantime, where do we find you online, Al? You'll find me at alisontate.com. You will find me on Twitter at, at altait, A-L-T-A-I-T. You'll find me on Facebook and Instagram at alisontatewriter. And you, Val, where do we find you? <laughs> You'll find me <laughs> at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O, on Twitter and Instagram. And please do connect with us on Facebook. You'll find us in the podcast community. So just search for So You Want to Be a Writer podcast community and we'd love to connect with you there as well so thanks for listening everyone and we look forward to chatting to you again next time bye thanks for listening to so you want to be a writer you'll find the show notes at writercenter.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writerscenter.com.au slash news where you'll find writing resources giveaways competitions and much more